0: Welcome to Working for Women, the Independent Women's Forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Hello, I'm Hadley Heath Manning, Senior Policy Analyst at the Independent Women's Forum and your host for today's Working for Women podcast from the Independent Women's Forum. Today I'm here with Jillian Melcher, who is an IWF senior fellow and a reporter for National Review. Jillian has been covering the United Nations Climate Conference, which took place in Paris, where a new international agreement was created. Jillian, thank you so much for being our guest today.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: So first, can you tell us what this Paris climate deal is exactly? What does it say?
1: Well, let's talk first about what President Obama says it is, and then we'll kind of fact check that throughout okay. the course of this podcast. Um, he basically said that it is, quote, the best chance that we have to save the one planet that we've got. So here's what the deal includes. There are more than 190 countries that have signed on. Um, the big breakthrough is supposed to be that developing countries for the first time are going to be cutting carbon emissions. Um, but there are a couple problems with this. First of all, it's up to countries to determine their own emissions slasher and contributions. It's sort of a potluck, as my editor at National Review says. Um, and if they fall short on that, there's no way for the international community to enforce uh, against uh, falling short on commitments. So it's non-binding. Um, by the way, that's really good for President Obama, who desperately wanted this deal but couldn't have pushed it through Congress. And then the other major component of this is that developed countries, rich countries like the United States, are going to send about $100 billion in climate aid to developing countries. So that's a huge transfer of wealth going on, taxpayer dollars being sent abroad. And we should also note that many of the destination countries for this money are among the most corrupt on earth. Now we know from the United States experience subsidizing, uh, you know, renewable energy that we have problems with crony capitalism, with money going to politically connected green firms. So I think in a developed world, especially in places where corruption is an entrenched uh, problem, um, this taxpayer money, you know, there's reason to question how it's going to be handled.
0: And so, by climate aid, that means like um, paying for renewable energy subsidies in other countries? Is that what exactly,
1: you mean Exactly. And that's exactly.
0: Okay. Wow. I mean, yeah. I think a lot of people believe in foreign aid for humanitarian purposes, but that's a, taking it a step further. Um, but I'm sure a lot of our listeners uh, who are in the United States are thinking, what does this mean for us here? I mean, is this going to significantly change our climate policy or Really, how will this affect us at the family level or at the individual level? Will we see anything different about our lives because of this deal?
1: Well, that's kind of to be determined. I mean, the cornerstone of what President Obama committed to in Paris is the clean power plan going to reduce carbon emissions in the U.S. by about 32 percent in 2030 over 2005 levels. Um, but this is, this is something that's met just widespread opposition. I mean, the House and Senate voted to nullify it within the last month, probably going to get vetoed, but that's symbolic of how little political appetite there is for it. Um, you've got 24 states that are suing over the Clean Power Plan, um, but just putting that aside, assuming it ends up being implemented, Um, The modest estimate is that what President Obama agreed to is going to cost the U.S. economy $170 billion in 2030. That's the modest estimate. Um, On a a more personal level, what this is going to look like for U.S. families is a couple of things. First of all, we're going to have much more expensive energy. Uh, We already know that renewable energy is vastly more expensive than traditional energy like coal, oil, gas. Um, So as we're essentially forced by policy to rely on more expensive forms of energy, you can see your energy bills going up. I've seen estimates that suggest that in all but a handful of states, maybe like seven of them, um, households can anticipate double-digit rate hikes. Uh, that's, That's pretty significant if you're a family. And we should note, too, that there's... Falls disproportionately on minority households. Um, they end up spending a larger portion of their take home pay on utility bills, on electricity. So it's really going to take a bigger bite out of their paycheck. So that's the immediate effect. I think we're also going to see energy as an input into food uh, processing. It's an input into manufacturing. So households can expect that their commodities are going to be more expensive. Their grocery bills are going to be more expensive. And then I think businesses are going to be grappling with this added expense, too. So there's a threat to jobs. Um, There's a way that this is going to affect American families um, in many respects.
0: So the bottom line is it sounds like this plan ends up making our energy more expensive. But for people who are really interested, uh, for example, in addressing the issue of climate change, maybe they think, this should be a major priority. I know the Obama administration has made addressing climate change a major priority, and they believe that developed country countries like the U.S. should take the lead because we have, you know, sort of, the, I guess, the wealth and the position to lead on this issue. If you're really somebody who believes in uh, environmental policies that can change the world for the better, I mean, the, even the, the words that the president used, this is our best chance to save the one planet we have, that's um, pretty compelling language. So, What kind of impact will these climate actions from the Obama administration actually have on climate change? What kind of metrics do we have to measure that?
1: Well, let's talk about the Clean Power Plan in particular, because the Obama administration has put that forward as the most significant thing that the United States is doing to combat climate change. Um, Cato Institute ended up using uh, the federal government's own algorithms, its own mathematical formulas, and running the numbers. Um, By the way, interesting that EPA did not do this, but it found that the impact on temperature is about two hundredths of one degree Celsius, and that's by 2100. So that is such a minuscule amount. That you'd have to be in a laboratory with really specialized scientific equipment to even be able to detect it. Um, On top of that, we're worried about rising sea levels. Well, again, Cato ran the numbers, found that the impact on rising sea levels is about equivalent to three sheets of paper. So it's a tiny, tiny amount. The argument has always been that um, even if the United States does something like this that is pretty much purely symbolic, it's important because it's going to push the developing world to do something, too. So keep in mind, China, the world's biggest uh, carbon emitter, India, the world's third largest carbon emitter, um, did submit plans. They did sign on to this. However, um, keep in mind, this is non-binding. Uh, there's no enforcement mechanism. And if we start crunching the numbers on this, um, China, you know, it, it's agreed to stop increasing carbon emissions by 2030. That's another way of saying that for the next 15 years, it's going to continue to grow carbon emissions. And in the past year alone, we already know that China opened permits for 155 coal-powered plants. That capacity is equivalent to about 40% of the operational coal power plants in the entire United States. That's mm-hmm. just in the last year. So we're seeing China really ramp up its dirty energy, if you want to call it. And with good reason. You've got 200 million Chinese people who are living on $1.25 a day or less. Um, energy is a key factor in them pulling themselves out of poverty. It's also a key factor in regime, the regime's stability. I mean, the Chinese government, they're, they're not a democracy. They uh, rely on economic growth for their political legitimacy. So I think anything that threatens that, they're going to be really hesitant to do. And you shift to a democracy like India, um, you've got over 300 million people living on a dollar a day or less. If they take severe action to limit um, traditional energy, to switch to renewables, it's really going to trap these people in poverty. And we should keep in mind, too, that in India, per capita energy consumption is still 15 times less than the United States. So that makes it really hard for them to trim more. Uh, I think practically uh, this isn't going to make a huge difference. Hmm.
0: So uh, let me clarify something about the Clean Power Plan. This is something that has never been voted on in Congress or it's just simply never been passed in Congress?
1: (laughs) It's been voted down in Congress. Um, I think what's happened here is the Obama administration did not have the political support to pass this. So it instead decided to pursue this policy through executive action. Um, Almost immediately, the House and Senate voted to nullify this. The Obama administration says it's going to veto. You've got uh, just about half of all states in the U.S. suing, saying that this is inappropriate use of federal power. And we've got to keep this in mind. Um, The Supreme Court recently voiced its skepticism for agencies like the EPA discovering huge new powers where uh, they just previously hadn't noticed powers like that. Um, So I think there's certainly a constitutional question, and there's not a lot of political appetite for this policy.
0: Right. And and as these things usually go, it'll take some time for this to, to work its way through the federal court system. So it may be some time before we hear a definitive answer from the Supreme Court about the Clean Power Plan. Is that right?
1: That's absolutely right. And that's going to be sort of the tricky thing. I think if, if states get their way, if Congress gets its way on this, it may be a pure victory. Because uh, the energy industry, in particular, other industries as well, are going to be making changes. They're going to be hedging their bets. they're going to be concerned about what happens if this regulation remains on the books. So by the time a court overturned it, some of the damage might already be done
0: right, okay. Now I have sort of a a tough question on my mind because whenever I talk about environmental or energy policy, it seems like there's a pretty clear trade off um between showing concern for the environment, even if the results aren't there, and really trying to be responsible with our policies that allow so many Americans to have affordable energy and the way that these policies impact our economy at large and job creation. Um, So if that that is a a trade-off, then what policy approach should we take uh, as a nation or maybe even at the state level, what policy approach should our allies take around the world Towards balancing our concern for the environment, because I know this is this is an issue for a lot of voters. You know, they say I want to elect leaders who care about the environment. I live in the state of Colorado. We're surrounded by beautiful mountains and parks, and people love the outdoors. They love to spend time outdoors. But how? Do, you know, what what policies should the government put into place to protect the environment and also balance that economic concern? Well,
1: Hadley, I'm so glad you brought that up because they think a lot of times. Um, anytime anyone voices um, skepticism or raises possible concerns to specific regulatory policies on environmental issues, um, they're immediately tarred and feathered as somebody who doesn't care about the environment. And for me, my perspective really changed living in China for a year. I mean, I saw the effects that people can have on the environment, the smog. I remember, you know, Spending a day walking because I kind of missed New York and waking up with my lungs hurting because the pollution was so bad. So I think there are a lot of people who care about the environment greatly, but want to see policies that don't hurt American households, that don't keep millions of Chinese trapped in poverty. So I think that's kind of the give and take. Um, I looked into this, and the good news is the United States is actually doing pretty well. I mean, if you look at it, um, smog levels, another area the Obama administration wants to regulate heavily, they've been declining for four decades continuously. And we've seen some of the biggest gains charted just in the last couple of years. Um, that's really impressive. If we're looking at, uh, the, you know, carbon emissions, we're at the lowest level that we've been in 20 years. Now, what does the federal government attribute that to? It attributes it to the natural gas renaissance, the American energy renaissance. Um, so, natural gas is significantly cleaner than other energy sources. Um, it's much cleaner than coal, much cleaner than oil. And as the United States just, you know, based on market demand, has made a shift toward natural gas. We're seeing some of the cleanest, best air quality that you know we've seen in a long time. This is a really positive development for us. So I think probably the solution is to look at market-based alternatives like this. Nobody wants to see taxpayer dollars thrown into you know risky endeavors that maybe private investors should instead be paying attention to. Um, I also think that as far as renewable energy goes, there's some promising technology, including hydropower, including nuclear power. But I think the right balance to strike is looking for clean energy solutions like natural gas that have that market-based component that end up lowering American energy bills, that end up lowering the pressure on households, and that you don't take taxpayer dollars and divert them to a less productive area of the economy. Hmm.
0: Jillian, this has all been so interesting, and uh, I'm sure we've given our listeners a lot to think about. And um, thanks for the information about the Paris Climate Conference. Is there anything else that you want to add about this topic or environmental policies at large?
1: (laughs) Well, I think one thing that's kind of interesting is looking at sort of the incongruity of of this conference being held in Paris. Um, There was polling that came out the other day suggesting that Americans are far more concerned about the threat of terrorism, um, certainly in the wake of what happened last month in Paris. Um, more concerned about the economy than they are about climate change. Um, even so, if you look at some of the carbon costs of the conference itself, there are 50,000 uh. attendees that came in. Uh, they emitted about 575 million pounds of carbon coming to the air to discuss, you know, cutting carbon, carbon. A little bit ironic there. So um, I think, you know, first of all, I would really urge our political leaders to pay attention to what. Americans are concerned about. Um, And second of all, you know, maybe if we're going to do a climate conference like this in the future, uh, let's lead by example on it and perhaps stay at home and do it by Skype.
0: Yeah, just like we're doing this podcast today. (laughs) (laughs) IWS, environmentally friendly podcast. (laughs) Great. Uh, Jillian, can you tell us, uh, tell our listeners where to find out more about you and, and your work if they want to follow some of your reporting and some of your writing?
1: Yeah, org is a great place to find it. You can also find me at National Review. I'm a fellow for the Franklin Center, fellow for the Steamboat Institute, um, so all over the place. But you can also follow me on Twitter at Jillian K A Y M.
0: That's so great. Thank you again uh, for joining us today, Jillian. Thank you. Okay, this has been another edition of IWF's Working for Women podcast. Uh, We want to thank Jillian Melcher for being our guest today, and we want to thank our listeners for tuning in. You can find out more about this topic and many more at iwf.org. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by iwf.org for similar content.